0: I'm reading God's Word for us, um, and it's, you should have got it on the way in your yeah, in little piece of paper. Acts 17. <coughs> now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite, and a woman named Demyrus, and others with them.
1: Welcome this afternoon. Uh, My name's Rob. I have the privilege of taking us through this part of God's Word. And today uh, is brought to you by the discipline of philosophy. Anyone here studying philosophy at all? Oh, one, or two, or three. It's not a big ticket item here at the University of Wollongong, <laughs> uh, but it's a highly overlooked one, so we don't often get a chance to um, congratulate, welcome, celebrate the philosophers, so yippee. Um, <laughs> you're here. But... Along with the uh, sentiment of uh, welcoming the philosophers and celebrating them, we're going to indulge in a little bit of uh, philosophical discussion, or at least you guys are, under the heading of Seeking God. (laughs) The question is, uh, or the statement, it is possible for anyone to seek God and find God. Discuss. I like that. Bit. That's sort of like the, <laughs> the philosophy bit. Uh, with the one or two around about you, I introduce myself uh, and discuss the validity of that statement.
0: Mm. I think so. solid mm. for mm. Yeah,
1: the big, the um, possibility. Possibility. Well, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I, yeah.
0: I think it yeah. 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 is like possible with anyone. Only I Only think it's with anyone. So this I they it What what they you mean by who's
1: That is true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone, if your if your brain hurts uh, already, uh, welcome to the engineers. Perhaps amongst <laughs> us. Uh, oh, great! <laughs> it is hard. We've got to work out all parts of our brain. Uh, <laughs> Who um, who went with the the positive uh, in evaluating the argument, the statement? Yes, it is possible for anyone to seek uh, seek and find God. Anyone go with the positive? One one full-handed positive. Who went with the a couple of so so's? Who went with negative? No, it's not possible. Okay, a few, um, not so committed. Okay. Who went with a true philosophical position of like? Well, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> Most of you. Okay. Well, welcome to Athens. Uh, welcome to the city of Athens. That is, that's where we are in the book of Acts? And we'll pick up some of those um, arguments about seeking God in a moment, but to put you, bring you up to speed... In this book of Acts, Paul, one of the followers, the prime follower of Jesus who's taking the gospel of Jesus to the world, as we saw last week, made his way back through Lystra and Derby where he'd originally set up churches there and was going back to encourage them. And the Holy Spirit was pushing him on uh, to new places. And they crossed over into Europe last week. The Gospel of Jesus came to Europe for the first time, and today, in Acts 17, the Gospel of Jesus goes to the city of Athens, the great city of Athens. Athens is a city of culture. It's a city of learning. It's the home of Greek philosophy. It's also a place of openness and acceptance of new things. Sounds a lot like Wollongong Uni, doesn't it? Wollongong University. Athens was a bit of a university, well, not university, a learning city, a a centre of learning, a bit like Wollongong, the University of Wollongong. It's a place of learning. Uh, And the accepting of new ideas. Sounds like Wollongong Uni too, of new things. Uh, Perhaps without so much philosophy, though, it would seem. Uh, And not much culture, perhaps, in Wollongong. There's a little bit of culture in Wollongong, isn't there? Well, there's the beach anyway. Um, Maybe not much learning, um, but there's ducks, isn't there? (laughs) (laughs) And we've got new things. Anyway, we won't press that too hard, but we're in a learning town, a learning city, who loves new things. It's the city of Athens, and perhaps some of us are just a little bit like that as we get stuck into how paul uh, operates in this new city in this environment as we look at this part of god's word i'm going to pray i'm going to ask god to help us to understand uh, what he's going to, wants to tell us here uh, if you want to pray with me please do and say amen if you wish to lord thanks for this time together today to be able to spend time in this passage in acts that you've given us as we see how paul conducts himself in Athens and speaks Uh, we pray that you might help us to understand what you would uh, teach us from your word we pray Amen. Amen Verse 21 tells us about the Athenians now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there in the city would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new that's the currency of Athens that's the gospel of Athens anything new any great new invention, great new idea, it's welcome in Athens. We want to hear about The Gospel according to Athens, if it's new, it's good. And, in particular, idols, or the gods of the nations, are welcome in Athens. And so they are added in. Paul goes to Athens and he sees many, many idols Athens is a sort of place that welcomes anything new, and so you've got a God that you believe in, if you're a foreigner, then come along and add your idol, add your God into the whole mix of idols and gods, because we'll accept anything new, and we want to hear about it. In fact, the first thing that we're told about Paul, when he goes to Athens, is he's thinking about, or encountering of idols. And so, verse 16 of Chapter Seventeen. Now, when Paul was waiting for them—that's for Silas and Timothy—to arrive, uh, waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So, when Paul saw idols in this European city, uh, he didn't take photos. He didn't have a camera. Okay, he didn't—he uh, wasn't intrigued by the the great art of some of these idols the great the thinking that was behind them he wasn't uh, chuffed by great efforts that people went to to try and represent their their beliefs he was provoked he was provoked with him he was he was angered it's often seen as sophisticated to if you are able to accept and take on board um, any view that comes along sophisticated to not be Put off by anything that anybody says, but Paul is provoked. Not lashing out in violent anger, provoked. Not mocking or denigrating, provoked. But what does he do? He reasons. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. That was Paul's pattern, going into the marketplace. And reasoning, he wasn't. He was turned off from idols, but he wasn't turned off talking about them. He was turned off idols, but he actually used it as a way to interact. He was provoked, but not into silence or distancing himself. He reasoned with people, and every day. Now I guess it raises the question for for us, if you're somebody who. Uh, follows God and worships one God alone, then are you too easily accepting of idols? Are we too accepting of idols and having them as just something that is there and we don't follow them, but neither do we, are we particularly provoked by them. They're just something that's there. Paul, there's something about them that provokes Paul. Uh, it wasn't an encouragement to him to think, wow, all these people, they believe in a higher power. Isn't that a good thing? No, it's something that he's concerned about. And so he reasons with them about their idolatry and even uses their idolatry, as we'll see, to challenge them. So, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, and it's a bit like... (coughs) sort of, you could say, the local universities, not really university. a place where the exchange of ideas would happen. Um, universities used to be like. Um, anyway, no, no more of that. Uh, it stands in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. The Athenians were uh, concerned that, in their acceptance of gods all over from all over the place, that they may have missed one, and maybe in their superstition, which is actually what Paul will challenge them of, uh, which is which is behind that word very very religious is perhaps super, you are very superstitious. In their superstition, they've missed one of the gods, and so therefore maybe one of the gods that got missed out is feeling a bit provoked to act against them. And so they produce an idol to the unknown god, just in case. Well, what's, um, what's Paul's response to this uh, idolatry? Well, Paul's response to this idolatry as he speaks <coughs> is to proclaim the Lord Jesus. That's what he does. So you see verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Why did they conclude that? Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's what Paul preached, Jesus and the resurrection. Now we're going to come back to that. Why did he preach Jesus and the resurrection? But anyway, he was in the marketplace Day by day, and they happen to include uh, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, you don't come across too many Epicureans these days. Anyone you met an Epicurean recently, uh, or a Stoic? Uh, yes, there was a guy here on campus a couple of years ago who was a, um, a was say a Bible-believing Stoic. Now, he held to the teachings of Stoicism um, quite from in its original form. They they do exist. The Epicureans, uh, for them, creation, everything around, it was just a complete accident. The universe is an accident. There's no rhyme or reason. It's a fortuitous combining of random particles. Everything is just chance plus time, and there's no purpose. There is no god. Uh, there may be gods. If there are, they're way out there, and you can't know them. You can't interact with them. They don't. We just don't know. Uh, but Everything is just an accident. We're here because we're here. It's good that we're here. It's enjoyable that we're here. And so, therefore, make the most of this fortuitous accident that we are and have fun and enjoy it as much as you can and do whatever you can to increase pleasure. Maybe there are more Epicureans around than what we think there are. Maybe you actually are one yourself. Stoics, however, hold that the universe is not an accident. Uh, Reality was ordered and reasoned by design, by the divine logos, the divine word, the divine reason. Not a God or a divine that you can know or interact with or that is personal, but reality is highly ordered and there's a reason for everything. All experiences of life are part of the design. And therefore, you accept all things as being part of the (coughs) design. Uh, Whatever happens to you is part of a grand design that you don't necessarily understand, but it's all part of... There's a reason for everything that happens to you, whether good or bad. And so therefore learn to accept it. There's no use getting upset. There's no use getting emotional about anything because it's just what it is. But there's a design, there's a reason for it. And so along with that there's a strong sense of duty. I should get on and do what my duty is. And so you can see that the English were alive and well back in Athens back then with their slogan, keep calm and carry on. Whatever may happen, Keep calm and carry on and don't get too upset. Well, what do they think of Paul, these people? They call him a babbler. What does this babbler wish to say? Uh, the babbler word is actually um, it's a strange, interesting word. Where it's, it's a description of like a, a bird that picks up scraps, the bits and pieces, and sort of puts them all together. To make up of something, uh, like a plagiarist, like most people writing their um, essays, uh, you just, sorry, not the plagiarist <laughs> bit, but the gathering of bits and pieces um, and sticking them together, like an engineer trying to write an essay, He's bits and pieces and shove it together and does that equal 2,000 words good? I'll hand that in. <laughs> Paul, they recognise or they think, he's not got anything new here. He's just grabbed a bit of this and a bit of that and he's shoved it all together and he's just the latest guy who's turned up and he's just a, he's a, he's a plagiarist, he's a babble. Others say he's speaking about foreign divinity. Jesus and the resurrection was a new idea for them; They'd not heard it before. Uh, And of course they're given to the things that are new. And so they say, may we know, verse 19, what this new teaching is that you're presenting us with. We want to hear about it. And so they want to hear more. Well, they've given Paul the option. They've given Paul the the stage, if you like. Okay, we want to hear more about this. What would you say? What would you say to a group of people, a group of intelligent people who've never heard of Jesus before, never heard the gospel, Perhaps they're Epicurean types, perhaps they're Stoic types, perhaps they're whoever. How would you explain the gospel? Now it might be that you don't know the gospel yourself, that's very good that you're here. You can join in the discussion around about you. But how would you explain the gospel to someone who's never heard of Jesus before? I'll give you a minute. Go in those in your groups. (laughs)
0: Maybe <laughs> it. <laughs> might take a little longer yeah there's of the yeah. to the and then Okay.
1: Yeah, who thinks that uh, That's good the person that they were talking to had some good ideas. Yeah. Who thinks the person they were talking to had some good ideas? Oh, why don't you share the person's ideas?
0: It, Elliot said that he'd go and look for some statues that were to the unknown god. Oh, okay.
1: Good. Um, <laughs> Thank you for naming Elliot in all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you many times. Uh, any others who wish to uh, contribute? Cross. What did your discussion partner
0: have to well, say? Something really
1: good. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> why, why tell us? Don't keep us in suspense. Yeah, Tell us. <laughs> tell us. <laughs> you you said
0: something. So tell us. Get <laughs> cross.
1: He said, um, he would ask, uh, do you believe in God? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> do anyone else go with that one? Do you believe in God? Ask that question.
0: No? Okay.
1: Um, anyone else want to, one more?
0: Yeah. We that, like, thinking about creation and how creation might suggest the existence of Hazor yeah.
1: sort or of create us. Ah, so, yeah. Yes. yeah, anyone else go go with that one? That begin with creation. And go from there to explain God? Yeah, yeah, a couple of. Yeah? Um, Sam, you had one.
0: Oh, James was saying the similar thing of giving uh, them a, like an overview of uh, how the Bible fits together,
1: kind of thing, and they didn't know why Jesus needs to be there. Like, okay. His purpose, kind of what he, purpose, why So, an overview of the Bible, yeah. Okay? So, it's going to be a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Many copies. <laughs> uh, I think they'd had coffee in Greece, I'm not sure, in Athens. Anyway, what does Paul do? What's the gospel according to Paul that he gives to the Athenians? Well, he begins with God, the Creator. (coughs) The hook being their idolatry, uh, he's not necessarily complimenting them when he says, uh, I can see that in every way you are uh, religious. I don't think that's a compliment. It's a bit neutral. It could be, as I said before, you know, I see that in every way you are superstitious. Um, but it, he, he puts that to them. Uh, and he then points to, uses their idolatry, as we saw before, to talk about this unknown God. Verse 23, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so he then speaks about God who is the creator and sustainer, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul doesn't draw on their philosophy. Uh, He uses their one little hook of, the unknown God, and pretty much leaves idolatry behind and critiques it. He draws on the theology of Genesis. God is the creator. God created humans. Humans don't create God. Human hands make idols. God is not made by human hands. God is not served by human hands. He doesn't need humans. Um idols need sustaining God doesn't need sustaining, you own an idol you've got to put it back up if it falls over, you own an idol you've got to wash it, clean the dust and the bird poo off the idol uh, the birds know what to do with idols uh, God doesn't need maintaining it <coughs> by human hands and so Paul exposes his glaring stupidity of idolatry by pointing to the fact that idols need hands, need human hands and human manufacturing. And it's a stupidity that still exists today in the form of physical idols, but also when people say things like I like to think of God as. I like to think of God as accepting of everyone. I like to think of God as 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 loving. Of course, it doesn't matter what you put after that. You can put anything at all, that first bit. But just the statement, I like to think of God as, is just you making up the God in your mind. You might as well make it with your hands as well. It's of that much worth. Or the... I don't feel the need for a God. I don't feel like I need a God to make sense of my life. Which again is is irrelevant to whether the God is actually there or not. Whether you feel like you need you, Him. You've just made the decision in your head. It's a bit like saying, I don't feel like I need a parent. I don't feel like I need a mum and dad. Well, you might feel that way, but it's doesn't change the fact that you actually have one. I don't feel like I need a god it does not change the fact that there is one. Paul begins with the creator and then humans in relation to the creator. Humans are created to know God and be like God. So verse 26, and you made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods <coughs> and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. It is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. See, God made all from one man, all people. There's a unity in our origin. We are not disconnected units. We, when we pass another <coughs> human in the street or on campus, we're not just passing another species or another object, you know, particularly lively sort of object that looks a bit like us. We are passing somebody who is like us, made from the same stuff, from the same origin. Um, Oh, isn't that interesting? My notes have disappeared. Uh, I think there was supposed to be something on that. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. This will be fun. Um, <laughs> we're created to know God and be like God. Where's our outline? Ah, oh, yes. Yeah. And so, uh, every human... Uh, is made uh, and to live on the face of the earth. And also having a lot, determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That is, we're all made from one, we're unified, but we're also diverse. God has given us diversity of places to live, of our national makeup, as a part of his design for humanity, as a part of our being able to seek after God. God is sovereign in the development of humanity from whether it's African origins through to Aboriginal uh, ownership and custodianship of, of the land. It all happens under the sovereign hand of God. For his purpose is in doing that, is that we should seek God in the hope that we might feel our way toward Him and find Him. It's this idea of groping in the dark after God uh, that perhaps we might feel our way. So those of you who have said, well, yes, it's possible to go and find God, there is some truth to that. That is the way that God has set us up. He set us up to seek after Him. And so when people do seek after Him, we are actually working our way towards him. So is it possible to, to actually find God and seek when we seek after him? <clears throat> Paul would say no in the end. He has this image of groping after God and if you know Romans 3 verses 10 to 12 does anyone know that off the top of their head? There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who there's no one who sick. understands no one who seeks God. Yeah, all have turned away. There is no one who seeks God. Because idolatry, in the end, is not the result of people intelligently, genuinely seeking God and finding God and then creating an idol to represent. Idolatry is actually using that God-given sense of seeking after him and twisting it such that we actually purposefully don't find God. the God people seek is the God who made humanity to seek him yes but we in our rebellion make sure that the seeking doesn't find him by putting a poor imitation in its place. It's a bit like when you you know when you're asked to do something by your parents you say, "I'll go and do that thing." You actually don't do that thing, you do something that looks a little bit like it, so you fulfil the, uh, the need of, or you fulfil the requirement of having to get something done. But that wasn't the thing that they're meant to do. But you feel good, and hopefully you think, well, parents will feel good about that too. That's what idolatry is. That's what all human manufacturing of gods, even if it's ideas in the mind, is putting something in place, but making sure that we don't actually find the God who is actually there. Because we don't want to find the God who is there. We want to find something other than the God who is there. Because the God who is there is dangerous and requires something of us. And that is what Paul goes on to speak about. Jesus, the man who reveals God. So, verse 29. Being God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine... Uh, Being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked but he now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him (coughs) from the dead. (coughs) God has put in place a man. Not an, an, who's an image, an idol is an image which does not represent God. God has put in place a man who is the image of God, a personal, living, breathing, relatable, relational, warm person, personality in Jesus who perfectly and fully and totally represents God. But so much so, that he will actually bring the judgment of God on those who will not respond uh, and who will turn away from God in their idolatry. And what is the proof of this? The proof of this is that God has raised this man from the dead. Now that's an intriguing thing. How does Jesus' resurrection from the dead prove that he is the one that God has put in place to bring judgment? Well, you have to go back to Acts chapter 2 to see that. uh, Because... The resurrection of Jesus, this is the agent of Peter from Acts chapter 2, shows that he was the fulfilment of the promise that God gave to David. That one of David's children would reign on the throne in Jerusalem for all eternity, over all nations. Well, who's that talking about? Well, that promise couldn't be David because David's dead. His tomb is in Jerusalem. It wasn't any of his sons because they all died too. But the resurrection of this one who's descended from David to the right hand of God, never to die again, shows that he is the fulfilment of the promise. He is the Messiah, King, who reigns over all. That's the way the proof runs. So God's proof, God in the resurrection, is proving that Jesus is the, the, the Christ who will reign. And part of that reign is to bring... Righteousness, righteous judgment. So what do you do in response to that once you understand that? You repent. See, once you understand an idol and what an idol stands for, what do you do? You go, Oh, that's interesting. Look at that. What a fun day it's been. Learn about that idol. I wonder where I can get some lunch. When you understand and come face to face with not an false image, but the true image of God in Jesus who reigns and will bring judgment, the right response is I need to repent. I need to recognise that I've actually been seeking after for my own purposes the God who isn't there. The God that I've made up in my head who isn't there. I've actually made myself God. I've actually not used the resources of the God who is there and the Creator the way that He wants me to. I've not used my very life the great gifts that I've, and opportunities that have been given to me, I think I've developed them with my own hands, but I've been given them, and I've misused them over and against the God who's given them to, to me. I need to repent. And maybe that's you. It's time to repent. Because Jesus is the one who rules, and will one day bring judgment. But it's in Jesus that God is actually seeking after people. So the statement, it's possible to seek God and find him, is actually true. Because God is actually seeking us. Not because we develop him with our own head, or we discover him hiding in a room somewhere, but because he has made himself findable in Jesus. Which is why Paul speaks that message to the Athenians, and which is why we whispered that message through our university. And leave us in prayer. God will help us in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your mercy to us in Jesus. That you don't leave us in our philosophies, in our idolatry, in our own weird understandings of who you are, but you've shown us what you are like in the Lord Jesus, and you're bringing his kingdom uh, to rule in righteous judgment. Help us to repent, not follow our idolatry, but to follow Jesus as our Lord and King. Amen. We're a short time, but Jemima's going to come and lead us in prayer. Uh,
2: I am Jemima. I am a first year education student and I'm going to lead us in prayer. Prayer is just like praying to God and so I'd love it if you could join with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not a silent God, but you do speak to us and reveal yourself to us through your word. Uh, We thank you for blessing Uni Bible Group with trained godly teachers to explain your word to us so that we can better know you. Lord, we thank you for dinners for eight on Monday and we pray that the dinners tonight would be an amazing time of fellowship, of getting to know each other better, of talking about you and continuing to develop these relationships. And I pray that this would be a great time to encourage one another and to glorify you. Uh, We pray for our AGM next week and ask that it would be a great opportunity to look back, to reflect and to celebrate on all that has happened in this last year. And, Lord, we do praise you for our current leaders. Uh, We thank you for the way that they have served you and we pray that the leaders appointed for next year would be faithful and sacrificially serving for the growth of your gospel. And finally, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters at Western Sydney University and we ask that you would be with them for their upcoming AGM uh, so that they too would elect godly leaders Uh, to support and grow the ministry despite the recent challenges of splitting between campuses, Lord. And all this we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.